Welcome to podcast number 125. Why I say the number, I don't know, but it does keep me happy. I'm Heather from Wiggly Wigglers. I'm Richard from Wiggly Wigglers. I'm Farmer Phil. And we have just grasped from the road Rachel. That, just as I was going to introduce Rachel, there is a sound coming from the wood burner. And it would appear that it's either a mouse in the haste, which would be unfortunate on the Wiggly podcast, or... A bird in the hand. Richard, could you please take off your microphone and go to the oh, it was, and investigate? We did a minute ago, Try and it? keep calm. So, no, no, we didn't do it a minute ago. Because this is the time no. of year when birds are nesting. Everything's, I mean, I, I noticed everything is, is going bananas at the moment. Oh. I'm trying to find two nesting sites. And as I look in here, thinking I might be accosted by the bright eyes of a great tit, I'm getting nothing. And I reckon the reason is because it's shooting down the flu of this fantastic wood burner that you've got in your lounge and it's dropping some mosses and bits and bobs and then it's leaping its way back up the flue and out of it. Why don't you leave the door open and then during the podcast maybe <sighs> a great tit will fly out. Excellent. You can't beat the great tits flying out. <laughs> <laughs> No bird at the moment, but we'll keep you posted, listener, as we go through this podcast. It could be that we're disturbed by tweeting. Yeah. Wiggly Wigglers is all about sustainable living. It's sort of a fork full of country. That's how it is. And if you want to find out more, go to www.wigglywigglers.co.uk. Absolutely. And we've got a good blog. Have you, have you you've been we've got, enjoying We've got, we've got a really blog. good blog. Karen makes uh, a fantastic effort with that blog. Uh, it's coming, it's going from strength to strength. And we've got quite a few people reading it now, I think, on a regular basis. Yes. And if you want to hear what Karen sounds like, uh, she did her first ever podcast interview on one, two, three. And she went and found out all about Karen Kennard, who slimmed her bin to a waist size zero. It was, it was very Radio 4, wasn't it? It was see? Radio Fantastic. 4. And do you know what she ended up at the end of the week? Do you know what was in her bin? Um, two ounces. No, one plaster, you know, like <laughs> sticky plaster that goes on your finger. Yep. And two butter wrappers. Fantastic. That's all. That's it. That was a lot. Yep. Just goes to show, doesn't it? Um, we've got Rachel coming up on this week's show. Welcome, Rachel, once again. Hello. She is doing an MA in Sustainable Development, and she's sponsored by the Bulmer Foundation, and we're going to hear a bit more about carbon footprinting. We've got a Monty Farmcast coming up, but first of all, I'm going to plough on through the feedback that we've got over the past few weeks. Here we go. April Simpson says, Wiggly Wigglers, come back from your break. I'm going crazy in Shanghai without the podcast. It's so polluted. It's so noisy in the city. I need to hear some birdsong. There we are. And some belly Brit laughter. Ready then? Oh, 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 oh. That's very, uh, yeah, very convincing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I think uh, Phil made an effort there as well, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> to be on the stage, Phil. You know, I'm wasted. I wander around this farm. I'll tell you what. I'm into dramatics. That's the way forward for you. Here's a question from Mia. Last week, when I topped up the bucket with waste, this is the Bukashi bucket, I was greeted by a pear drop smell. If my chemistry serves me right, 
It's formed by the reaction of alcohol with acid. I've now started to cover the stuff with cling film and a plastic bag to try and exclude the air that's in the bucket. At least I know something is working. Is this fermentation? It is fermentation. Pear drop smell. The pear drop, essence of pear drop, is an ester, which is amyl acetate, which is produced when an alcohol and an acid react together. And I suspect it is a product of fermentation, and it probably she's dead right, it proves it's fermenting and doing what it should. You, you amaze me, Phil. How, how is it that you know everything to do, anything that's associated with alcohol, even tenuous links? You know, you're there. You're just <laughs> completely on the ball. Mention alcohol. Well travelled me, Rich. Also, I had a, a, a very good chemistry teacher who had a fair zest for life, and he taught us in things we understood. So alcohol, definitely. Fantastic. Sherry says, I've promised somebody else that I would ask you this question. My friend... Is that how people, you know, <laughs> describe things when it's really them? My friend has discovered strange grey maggot-like things in her wormery. Not as wiggly as maggots, but they're about half an inch long with a pointed bit at one end. My best guess is that they're actually baby worms. What do you think? They're probably rat-tailed maggots. Oh. They're a fly larva. They're Are completely they? harmless. Yep. I've seen uh, those. They're yeah. grey and yeah, they're fairly disgusting pointy. looking, but mm. they're you know they're kind of helping. They're contributing to the whole wormery scenario, but they're just not very nice. And and I think the reason they're in there is because it's too wet. Thank you, Richard. Rachel, you've got a wormery. How's your can of worms going? Oh, it's going very well. After the trauma of finding half of my worms frozen in the sump and having oh. to break them out of the ice and then <laughs> put them on my hand and give them the kiss of life to try and <laughs> resuscitate them, which I don't know if it's worked. I put them all back in. I think the other worms might have just eaten them. <laughs> a, worm can, okay. a worm can survive uh, freezing. It can't. Uh, well, it, they, they can survive sort of almost freezing, almost in, in crystalline water, you know, but they... There is a danger that they could be uh, made sterile off the back of that. Goodness. So you might lose your next generation have... of worms, which will work better than your first. So worth bearing in mind. Mm. Eggs should be fine. You, know, you need to finally hone your worm husbandry skills, Rachel. I can see that. You, you're, uh, you know, you're, just, you're just neglecting your wormery, aren't you? We've got a message from Anna from the Engaging Brand. She says, <laughs> great to have you back, Wigglers. Monday morning just wasn't the same without you. And from Doug Gloddock in Edmonton, he says, Glad to hear the Wiggly team once more after recently discovering the podcast and spending two months catching up on all the episodes. (laughs) Oh, poor old Doug. I was in withdrawal during February. Here's to another 120 or so before another break. Don't worry, Doug. Our series are 121 long, so um, there's absolutely no issue with having a break. Oh dear, Michael's just Why fell you? off his chair. Just so they joking. Yeah, you can rely on me, Doug. 121 in each series. <laughs> Can't wait for series five. Fantastic. That will be in year. 2021. Do you think he ought to book a place in the hospital now for recuperation or not? <laughs> I reckon. Perhaps Pod- a mental institute might be more appropriate. Podchef says, Hooray for the return of the Wiggly Wigglers podcast. From the near row to the cooker episode. The cooker episode was one, two, three. The near row? What was the near row? The near row was you arguing with Phil over pigs and wheat. And oh, yes. Yeah. Well, we didn't quite get into it, did we? No, we'll go back to that, I reckon. Mm. 
You've been sorely missed. Any time you want me, dear, I'll pop across the pond and give you some guidance. Is he visiting you this year or something? hope so. Yeah. Henry from London says, I'm really enjoying the podcast. Thank you, Henry. <laughs> More feedback from Richard. He's got a stash of it filed somewhere. Yeah. So we'll see. But in the meantime, let's have a Monty Farmcast. Bring it on, Montague. Monty Cast, a weekly fact on farming. It takes a hen 24 to 26 hours to lay an egg. Another Monty Cast, a weekly fact on farming, next week. Thank you, Monty. We have Rachel Harris on the Wiggly Sober this week. Welcome, Rachel. Hello, Heather. She is an MA student and she's studying sustainable development. It's sponsored by Bournemouth. I've said that so many times, but it's nice to say. And she has completed the Wiggly carbon footprint. And there's a few things that I want to grill her down about. And also, what is the point in doing this if we haven't actually done anything about it? Yeah, well, so we'll right. have a look at what we've actually taken from this report and achieved. Have you done anything, Farmer Phil? Not a lot, no. I thought you'd sorted out your plastic. I have sorted out my plastic, but I haven't sorted out what to do with it because I'm at odds with the authorities as to what I'm allowed to do. Oh, well, it might be that. It might be a little bit of tightness creeping in as well, which I think probably leans more towards tightness than anything else. OK. It's a bit it- harsh coming from you, frugal <laughs> fishbone. One of the questions that uh, Rachel found out that the staff had issues with were, I don't think they should be flying to Holland. No. Well, no, we have so. addressed that because we're now going to... Well, we are going on the train. So that's sorted. The cling film for the wrapping pallets can't be good for the environment, says somebody. Have we addressed that? Well, we've addressed it to the extent we've got a a new place for it to go. (laughs) 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 So it's been segregated from the other types of plastic in our plastic recycling scheme. But unfortunately, one of the only ways that you can be sure that a product stays intact and in good condition is it's wrapped in a certain way. And we've we've looked closely at uh, genetically modified packaging, you know, using the cornstarches and things like that. But of course, we don't want to get involved with GM, so very difficult. We are involved with GM because, and, and everyone in the whole of Britain is involved in GM because we're eating GM products, whether we like it or not. Yeah. Our animals are eating GM products. But consciously, we're trying to, to uh, get away from it. But surely, although cling film shrink wrap is a complete pain because it blows around all over the place and, and all the rest of it, in terms of the actual weight or quantity of plastic per pallet, we're talking about very small amounts, I would imagine. I have, as you know, big problems with the recycling industry in inverted commas because I don't think much recycling goes on. But the real thing is, what benefit do you get from using that bit of shrink wrap or whatever, and then what can you do with it after you've used it to either recycle it or use it for another purpose? Rachel, what are we supposed to do? Well... I see what Phil's saying, but one of the things that I think you're not thinking about is where it comes from. And shrink wrap, plastic, no doubt comes from oil. Mm. And my all appearances, what we're hearing is that our oil is running out. Mm. So perhaps rather than waiting until it runs out and prices skyrocket, we think about what alternatives there are now because at some point we are going to have to think about different things because so much is made of oil. I absolutely agree with you, Rachel, and I have no issues with that at all. And Ultimately, you're dead right, there won't be any oil, so we won't have the choice. But right now, we've got the choice 
of several different things we can use oil for. We can use it to make new plastic, we can use it as a straight fuel, either to heat the place, generate power, or to put in our cars. Now, my point is that rather than using oil to recycle plastic or move it around the country or the world to recycle it, plastic is essentially oil in a slightly chemically modified fashion with some pollutants. Why can't we use the plastic as the fuel point source to, say, heat our premises, save and use new oil to make new plastic ah, as a like much home more efficient... composting. Exactly. Burn plastic. And instead of burning oil... <laughs> is it going to work? I mean, that's an interesting point because I had this same kind of problem with recycling when I was like, well, we're not actually recycling. All we're doing is we're separating our waste and putting it on our doorstep. And then, for all I know, it gets shipped to China and burned anyway. Mm. But we actually, on my, as part of my course, we got hold of a document from Herefordshire Council which showed all of the things that they recycle in Herefordshire and where it goes. And I can't remember exactly, but the majority of the things that get recycled in Herefordshire are recycled in the UK. And so I was really pleased to find that out. I, I would agree with you if I thought I could believe Herefordshire Council. And the reason I, I ooh, have doubts ooh, about Rick. that is that a friend of mine did some research into a re plastic recycling facility in Wales and this was, was part of catchment-sensitive farming and agricultural waste and so on. And they found that they recycled a small amount of plastic just so that they could say they did, and the rest went to China. And so that these parasitical firms are just collecting the political dibs for producing a percentage. And to my mind, that doesn't cure anything. I'm with you on the need to do something, but I just think there's a lot of politicking parasites going on Mucking it up. The thing is, uh, that, right, Rich. Yeah. So why not? Why not? Says Farmer Phil. Instead of transporting the plastic, using the fuel to burn the engine to take to somewhere else to recycle the plastic to use the fuel to bur to burn to bring it back. Why not? Farmer Phil puts his plastic in his boiler, burns it. You see, that would be fine as long as there was some sort of proper filtering of emissions. Fair if you go fair and burn comment. dirty plastic. All those horrible, hideous contaminants that aren't present in refined oil would be emitted into the atmosphere and, and cause untold calamities. But and they do, you know, there are yeah, huge I, problems. I, I totally emissions. agree with you. And the design of the boiler would have to be critical and the mixture that you fed it. I'm not suggesting you could feed it neat plastic because I don't think that would work. But I would also say that burning oil in your central heating system produces dioxins and pollutants other than carbon dioxide. And burning wood on your wood burner certainly produces dioxins and pollutants and they go into the atmosphere unfiltered. Which brings me back to my original comment was that if we use less energy from wherever it comes, whether it's wood or burning plastics, or burning oil, whatever, we will reduce the pollutants that go into the atmosphere, which I couldn't yeah. agree more with You've you. You've completely to be hit done. the nail on the head, though, there, Phil. But, I mean, ultimately, you could, you could end this whole debate and, and all this discussion about emissions and re re you know, reducing the certain ways we do things and, and changing in behaviour. Actually, the only way that we'd make any real difference is by completely changing the way we behave. But I just feel behave. our behaviour is being skewed by politics. My last example, before we go back to Rachel, was that... Yeah, you have had a bit our, of airtime, Phil. Our council, we put out our different waste in different coloured bags for recycling. 
segregated and so on. So the purple bag is for paper and clothes. And I see that the council have collected our purple bag, but they have taken out of it and left on the side of the road half a dozen bits of card and cardboard that they didn't like the look of. So they've just left them on the <laughs> side of the road. They've taken out and one I your, think, one of your for God's sake, what shirts? is the world coming to? <laughs> you know, it's either you're going to get on and do the job and do it properly, yeah. or you're going to have a political load of yeah. rubbish where you leave the waste on the side of the road. And this is almost one of the main problems with the, with the whole recyclable good collection services that local authorities provide. Is there's always that element of confusion. So people, you know, think, oh, what can I put in here what can I put in there and it's actually disheartening if you do put stuff out you know you go to the effort of sorting stuff put stuff out and the, and the dustman picks a few things out of the bag or puts a little purple notice on there saying can't take this because there's a yoghurt pot in here or something like that I've bought a yoghurt maker have you? yes because I looked at our waste and primarily now it's yoghurt pots and so I've bought a yoghurt maker last night and I'm going to try making our own yoghurt. Oh, fantastic. So then we don't have any waste. Rachel was talking about yoghurt earlier on, you know. Well, she, yes, yeah. we, I used to make yoghurt in Spain, and, but the only way that we ever had any success was by using UHT milk, because it's already sterilised. When I've tried to make yoghurt in this country, and I know that I'm just doing something wrong, it's not that it's impossible, but when I've tried to make yoghurt in this country using English milk, it doesn't work. Dear listener, let us know how you get on with your mm. yoghurt making. We are gathered here today to attempt... <laughs> some yogurt making and on the next podcast we'll have a taste of Heather's yogurt. Will it be runny or will it be yummy? It might turn making. We shall see. Right, more recommendations here. Oh, well, some things are just so boring, aren't they? You know, screen savers and lighting. Yes, they are boring and they're funny things because I think quite often people get really confused when you have little things like this because they say, OK, global warming is such a big problem. How can just changing a light bulb or not using a screensaver make any difference? You know, how on earth can that relate? Yeah. Either they don't believe the statistics or they think, oh, well, my input, my role in doing something is not going to make any difference because the problem is so huge. But it's all these little things. If everybody does little yeah. things. I mean, this is what I found when I was here. At the end of my month, I thought, gosh, you know, I really thought I would change wiggly wigglers and come up with these amazing solutions and alternatives and at the end of it i was just like oh these are just little solutions these are just little improvements but that's how it it's starts. infectious though isn't it the whole moralistic thing is is uh, is, is very infectious i mean it, you know, it's, it's so inspiring to have hev go on eurostar for instance you know because then you, you must feel a real sense of achievement from that it's it's a bit like when people say things like why should I bother doing that? Because that's not really going to make a big difference. But of course, it is going to make a massive difference, ultimately. It's a bit like mugging people, for instance. Well, you're not going to mug somebody, because you know it's bad. You know, it's not the right thing to do. It's going to make other people's lives difficult and unpleasant. So you just, you don't do it. You don't do it because somebody else is doing it. So you don't say, oh, well, you know, the Chinese are doing all these things. There's so many of them, you know, that the production manufacturing over there is so bad. You know, why should we make an effort? What difference is it going to make to us? But of course, ultimately, it's going to make a massive difference to all of us. So what have you done? Because obviously I've made changes. In fact, I've put together a document that Rachel's got in front of her about weekly values, the environmental impact. I've changed my mode of travel to go on the train and uh, yet what have you done because Richard here it says here that commuting lift sharing cycling etc is what we need to do Mm -hmm. and uh, I don't think you've done anything I've probably done quite a lot really in the context of of wiggly life have you Hmm. we've set up 
a little recycling, uh, sorting our plastics properly. I think that's perhaps not just because of the fact that this report is something that was um, that's been bearing on my mind quite heavily for a while. But now there's a, a local guy comes and picks up our plastics. We have to sort them at source. He goes off. So that's that's being done nicely. He this goes is something off that where? Phil and I argued about the other day. Yeah. Does he recycle it? And the problem is, you see, is that they, there's all, it's all recycled, but the plastic goes down to South Wales. Now, I had assurances from the guy who picks up the plastics, Farm Plastics Recycling, to say that he was sure that all the plastics are recycled and reused in Wales, in Swansea. Ha- however, interestingly, I did speak to someone the other day and she said, are you sure that's the case? Because, and exactly the same as Phil had said earlier on. But anyway, but, but out of a choice, you see, we have a choice of skipping the stuff or sending it to a place where it could do more good than harm. I don't know if this is a good idea to recommend it on a global scale, but there is the alternative that you deal with your own waste on site, and if that means burning it, then you're not creating all of these emissions by transporting it somewhere else. The issue with that on the farm is that although it is legal to burn plastic as long as you don't pollute the atmosphere, in inverted commas, and that is at the moment measured by the colour of the smoke, nothing more or less scientific than that. On a farm basis, we now have rulings that go along with our subsidy that say that we're not allowed to, so that they bribe us with our subsidy to, in inverted commas, recycle the plastic. But the question I got for Rachel was that we talk round all these issues and we investigate what Wigley's are up to and so on. Are we not steadily talking ourselves to the point that the cost of energy to us either as domestic people or possibly businesses, and there's major issues with what I'm about to say, but it's just not expensive enough to make us change our ways, that we still tip fuel in the cars, we still heat our houses. If we couldn't afford to, then we would change our ways soon enough. The writing's on the wall, isn't it? We're not going to be able to afford to for, for very much longer. But what, what I'm getting at, which is now, that we all, we all earn goodish wedges, and if we don't, then we work harder so we earn a bit more. And it's essentially to cover our household bills, one of which is the cost of heating our house to a comfortable temperature. Yeah. But we all as children, particularly those of us who live in the countryside, remember our households being much colder than we have them now, pre-central heating and all the rest of it. Is it not the cost of the fuel that prevents us from actually saying, well, no, we can't afford to do that like that. We'll use less oil or less electricity. Rachel, do you think the price of energy is the problem, so we need it to go up? Quite possibly. I think the price of flying is a major problem. But it's like so many things. Do we pay the true cost of them? Do we pay the true cost of fuel we put in our car? Do we pay the true true cost of the fuel that we burn in our houses, the electricity? Do we pay the true cost of our food as well? Because most of the time we don't, because we're not paying the cost for the pollution that it causes. I think it's an interesting thing, because, I mean, fuel in the car is particularly interesting, because if you look at the cost of the actual fuel, take the tax out of it, which in our country is very high, it's ridiculously cheap. It's arguable whether you think the government use the tax they get out of it to the environmental good. But if you started to pay a proper price for the fuel, which actually was high enough to modify your use of it, and I say that advisedly because in a business sense there are huge implications with just ratcheting up the cost of energy. But on a social scale, I think that the cost of heating your house and so on is ridiculously cheap. And that's why we all say we'll, we'll have some low energy light bulbs and so on, but we're not actually going to have the house cooler, which would be a massive difference. I'm freezing. 
I am absolutely freezing here. There's brass monkeys. Oh, it? it's really cold <laughs> in here. Listen, coming to the conclusion of this, would this report inspire us to recommend other small businesses or other businesses on any scale to actually bother to do it? Let's go round the room now and, and say what we think. I mean, Rachel, have you got something from doing this report and would you recommend this to other people? I think I would, definitely. I mean, from a business, it depends on what you're doing in your business and why you're doing it. But I think that a lot of the time, if you're looking at ways of being more sustainable, more green, more eco, whatever you want to call it, the chances are you're going to be using your resources more efficiently. And if you're using your resources more efficiently then you're probably saving money. And I think that's what a lot of businesses want. And if the two go hand in hand, then there's an extra incentive. And where do you think, I mean, I suppose it's impossible to say, but where do you think Wiggly's fits into this whole carbon footprint world of business? Have you measured us against other companies? You know, I saw in here, actually, that we're producing half as much as... Uh, somebody else in the in the whole thing so can't we just sit here smugly smiling and say oh we're very clever you could do Heather I'm yeah. sure you will anyway actually, yeah. <laughs> I, I am actually Aren't I? Yeah. yeah I mean that was interesting because I did yeah I contacted Greg Farm Organics and they were actually the only similar company similar size with a mail order business who'd done a similar exercise and the reason that they'd done it was because Bob Kennard's son had done an MSc in sustainable development something or other like me so I think he'd right. done it on cheap but I didn't get detailed figures from them on how their carbon footprint broke down so I don't know whether they do things certain things that are different or more than Wiggly's does so comparing them directly without more information is a bit hard oh so we're not Sorry, better Heather. no well you can, I think you can still give yourself a pat on the back for actually doing it because so many businesses haven't and a lot of them don't want to do it because I think they're scared of what they'll find and if it's not going to be a good PR opportunity for them then why do it? Why I saw that, we there? won't mention names but I saw one company actually said we are not going to do our carbon footprint because we don't think it will be a good marketing exercise That's very sad isn't it? That is sad <laughs> Farmerphil? Yeah, I think it's absolutely crucial. And from a farming point of view, although I could probably identify my main carbon issues straight off the bat, I think that there are two things that Rachel said. The use of resource is or should be crucial in any business and using it better if that makes the business more sustainable, greener, whatever you want to call it, that's got to be good. And from a farming point of view... Absolutely. If there are ways that I can improve my carbon footprint, for want of a better phrase, then that will improve my business financially and it will improve it in a sustainable way. And I think that's important. I think we'd best come to me next because we want to end up on a positive outcome and mine isn't positive. I think that the question still was completely wrong. I think the idea of producing a carbon footprint is ridiculous. And what we should be doing is looking at triple bottom line accounting and looking at the social, the economic and the business sustainability. And it for isn't me, carbon footprinting part of that? It is. It's exactly that. It's part of that. It answers one tiny question and it's been a brilliant experience having Rachel at Wiggly Wigglers for the month. And the questions that it's brought up 
have been great, I think, for the company. And the fact that we've got um, the values and, and all these questions coming out of it is great. But for me, I would never advocate another company doing a carbon footprint because I really think it's about so much more. And the idea that we are spending our time bickering as to whether Heather can fly to the US or Richard should drive from Founhope is so ridiculous compared to the social, the economic, the environmental benefits of what we're trying to do. And it just drives me potty that we stick on these tiny little issues. Over to you, Rich. So far as Wiggles is concerned, what Rachel's presence has done here has been a fantastic opportunity to involve everybody in this process. So yep. Carbon Footprint, in per se, is purely a nucleus to look at the, the bigger picture. What it's done for, for Wiggles is it's, it's given everybody the opportunity to feed in to a document which essentially makes us look at our operations a bit harder. It puts everything into perspective. It puts everything in black and white, but it gives us some material to move on with. And the fact that it was kind of incidental that Rachel was here when she was here and we were addressing many issues and, uh, and really drawing that all together. So it, it's very much a part, an integral part, of what a business is all about. Rich, that's brilliant. Rachel? That's really interesting. I think you've got a really good point there, Heather. And I came to Wigley's only for one month. I was asked to come here to do a carbon footprinting. If you'd asked me to come here and do a sustainability audit, I'd have done that for you as well. Brilliant. Rich? Uh, but you have, haven't you, in a sense? Mm. That's exactly what you have done. And the reason that you were asked to do a carbon audit is that Interestingly, Wiggly's isn't like another co- any other companies. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> our feeling was that we should perhaps indulge in something superficial that other companies do indulge in, like carbon footprinting, for instance. Yeah, we were practising, weren't we? Yeah. And what it's actually given us, this document here, which if anyone would like it, it is available for anyone to read. And there we are, the carbon footprint of Wiggly Wiggly's is here. And it was produced in January 2008. And I think what it is, is a great inspiration to move on and actually look at more issues and be able to look at the benefits of the business as well as the... I think it's a a working document, isn't it? Working document, like it. So thank you very much, Rachel. I wish you well with your M-A-B-A-C-A-D-A-E-A. MA in Sustainable Development Advocacy. Thank you, Heather. Thank you, Rachel. (laughs) And I hope that we'll go on to think about triple line, bottom line accounting at some point. Right. Bye. Bye. Bye from me. Then it's bye from me.